All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into the podcast. And in case you haven't noticed, we have a new name. We are now the Buffalo Beat, brought to you by The Athletic. And still me, Joe Biscalia, my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. We both work for The Athletic, and now we are a part of the burgeoning podcast network over at The Athletic. But just to fend off anyone that, that might be scared, scared like, oh, what, what's going on? What's going on? All that's going to happen is you're, you're going to have more episodes. Uh, we're still doing our post-game episode. We're still doing our pre-game episode. The only thing different that we're going to do, and those are going to be to you on, on the original iTunes, Spotify, however you get your podcast channels. The only difference is A, the name, which we are now The Buffalo Beat. Hope you guys enjoy the new artwork. And B, you're going to get an additional episode right in the middle of the week. Though those are going to be special episodes and you will only be able to get those on uh, on the Athletic Podcast Network. So to get those and to have all the access to those, you can go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat and get, get in for a 40% off code for the year. And uh, that's how you keep enjoying even more Bills Beat content. But yeah, it's an exciting time. We are the Buffalo Beat now. We'll still do Come On Darlene. We'll still do all that. But but I'm pumped, Matthew Fairburn. Yeah, I think a, a major bonus for people is that now when they pull up the podcast on iTunes or wherever, they will have nice artwork instead of being greeted by <laughs> close-up pictures of our faces. Well, Which had to, I'm assuming, terrified a good percentage of our listeners. I mean, it, it certainly terrified all of our loved ones. <laughs> The worst part about that was that I spent a good hour and a half doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I thought, you know, at the time, you know, a good, it was good for good branding, but I, I think uh, better for, yes, better for everyone involved, I think, to, yes, to keep our faces out of the, out of people's screens. <laughs> Very much so. And by the way, you can also access all these episodes, uh, even the ones you can get on iTunes, Spotify, you can access that on the Athletics Podcast Network as well. That's that's really the, the only change there. All right, so now that we've gotten through that part of it, welcome in, everyone, to the new and improved Buffalo Beat. And we're going to break down what happened in that Bills-Lions game because, quite frankly, I don't think many people were happy with what happened from an offensive perspective, Matthew. I think uh, Josh Allen, the way that he kind of operated things, although you know he helped lead them to a two-minute drill for a touchdown against the Lions second and third teamers to kind of give everyone a a warmer feeling coming out of that game that game left a lot to be desired we saw some bad decision making from him the throw across his body is the thing everything will will remember but how about just like scrambling in a preseason game like keeping plays going when when he probably should just you know call it a day throwing a ball behind his receiver. I think it was John, no, Cole Beasley on an out route where it should have been an easy pass, but he opened up his hip and threw it left, which is something he did at Wyoming. And it, it should have been picked off, even though that is a throw that with his arm should be a completion to the sideline every single time. So a lot to be desired there for him. I think that game was just a reminder that it's time for the preseason to be over in a lot of ways because the injuries that, albeit minor ones that popped up, were you know enough to scare people Josh Allen getting knocked to the ground and scrambling around certainly enough to scare people but also you know just seeing the offense they're doing different things to try to kind of you know force you know different looks and get different things on tape the first two games they seem to be you know passing the ball a ton trying to get 
into a rhythm as a passing offense and establish some chemistry there. Friday night was all about running the football, and so Josh Allen didn't really get to be in a rhythm, and I think as a result was kind of forcing things when he did get the chance to throw the ball because he's just itching to be in a game that matters and itching to to compete and things like that. So I think that's where he was just jumpy. He was not himself because he was not in rhythm, that the game plan wasn't built for him to, you know, do what he does and and that's preseason football in general so that's all friday night it was just like man th- this is enough like let, let's just start the regular season yeah you know let's let's hope that you know nobody on either side gets hurt and the lions had a couple of significant injuries as well and it it just made for a disjointed game and and josh allen was obviously the focus because he always is but it didn't feel like you know something that the team or he was incredibly concerned about. No. And uh, there's also this that I want to throw into the conversation. I mean, it's been a couple of days since uh, the game happened. And that's kind of the, the reason why we waited a few days to record this podcast was, you know, because of the big announcement with uh, the new name and everything like that. But in that time, you know, I kind of got the feeling that, Something was a little off with Josh Allen in that game, and I think there was a chance he was he was under the weather for that game. You know, not to say that's a that's a total excuse for him, but they did basically game plan away from him throwing the ball, as as you're pointing out, and in some of the decisions he made, especially and with throwing across his body, I mean that that's a throw that can't happen. So I don't know. I, I don't want to give him a complete crutch here and say, you know, oh, that this is this is an excuse for him. That that's why he was like that because there there are multiple instances of players that go through a sickness, play through it, and play pretty damn well. But you know, I think I think it's at least food for thought and to put into the conversation about uh, about Josh and and that performance and whether or not it's a true gauge of of what he is and and the progress that he's made in the preseason. Yeah, I think so much of what they do this time of year is about finding a way to make sure they're evaluating everybody fairly and and getting enough on tape of what they want to see. And part of that is, you know, the first team offense barely ran the football uh, in the first few weeks of the preseason. And so, you know, game planning away from him, whether it was how he was feeling or whether it was you know, just wanting to get the other looks, wanting to see what, you know, Spencer Long looked like as a run blocker more so than as a pass blocker. I mean, little things like that, that you want to see, you'll move reps around. You'll, you know, Zay Jones stayed on the field longer than he normally would have, probably because, you know, he, you know, as Sean McDermott said, he hadn't gotten a lot of, you know, he hadn't touched the football a lot and they wanted to see some of that. Still a little odd that he's playing special teams and playing into the second half, but there's always nuance and explanations and context for some of what's happening out there, which is kind of the annoying part about the preseason too, is that you know if Josh Allen has a bad game against the Jets, sure, there's context and there's different little nuances to, to everything, but you can also just say he had a bad game, they had a bad game plan, or, or whatever it may have been. You can just judge it for what it is. In the preseason, there's too many little things, who he's working with, what they game planned, what the defense game planned, who the defense played, that it's hard to draw 
big time conclusions. And that's the the frustrating part about this time of year that seems to really, really drag on. Yeah, you just there you hit it nail on the head. You can't make conclusions based on what we've seen, even from a defensive perspective. Like the defense has played pretty darn well. And it's just a matter of, okay, well, the offense really isn't game planning to attack their defense. They're playing well because they're a really good starting 11 that if a game, if a team doesn't game plan for them, odds are they're, they're going to come out on top in that respect. But when teams start to pick on certain players and what they don't do well and, and then start to create other opportunities because of other players trying to overcompensate for, for those weaknesses, then that's where you start to see um, some advantages for the offensive side of things. And that's part of the story that the defense is going to have to go through. But I don't know. This, this offense, I think for the most part, I've been okay with, with what they've done. The running game has looked a lot better. Again, this is, just, this is just signs of progress as opposed to actual progress. We won't know exactly how much progress they've made, whether it be running the ball, the offensive line. We still don't know if the offensive line is better than what they were last year. We know they're different. It's probably going to be better, but we don't know. I mean, it's a lot is up in the air in that respect. But when you have, when you just don't have a lot of a sample size, and especially against a non-game plan defense, it's really tough to draw those things. All you, the best I can say is you take away individual performances when where you observe their technique and figure out, okay, can this guy be a player through the season for you? If he can, then, or if he shows those signs, then that's where that's how you make your roster decisions. This is more so for for helping the grand scheme of your fifty three as opposed to trying to figure out, okay, are they going to be good or not this year? I, I think that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, there there are you know there's a certain amount of people that want to say there's absolutely nothing you can take away from the preseason, which is you know it probably leans in that direction where there's not a tremendous amount you can take away, but to dismiss it out of hand entirely, I don't think is fair either because True. there's, yep. you know, like you said, certain little things, knowing where to look and what to look for. But if you're hoping that because they're three and O that that means playoffs are coming, maybe playoffs are coming, but it's not because they went three and O in the preseason. How dare uh, you? It's not because, you know, they're winning these games or that Josh Allen is, is looking good you know i think last after the panthers game uh, in our podcast you know a few people reached out and you know were a little upset that i said you know if they do well this season it's going to have nothing to do with what josh allen did in the preseason which is more me saying not necessarily that practice and preseason games don't mean a thing that they're not important to his development more so that it, it's not going to translate to success just because they won or just because he had a good game it's all an important part of his developmental process and this team's development, but the results part of it is what you don't want to get tied to. What whether it was a disappointing stat line from Josh Allen on Friday or LaShawn McCoy's slow start, whatever it may have been, context is always the big thing. Yes. And this means more to some guys than others, right? Duke Williams, uh, Isaiah McKenzie, Mike Love, TJ Yeldon, Mike Love, Daryl Johnson, Wyatt Teller, you know Ryan Bates, Ike which Butler by the way getting a look. Ryan uh, Bates hive, a real thing, but go on. There are, there are some people excited about Ryan Bates. People get excited about strange fellas this time of year. <laughs> there could be a long list of preseason darlings that Duke Williams might be a name that gets added to that list eventually. You know, that guys that 
are preseason darlings that don't pan out. But, you know, we'll see what happens with a lot of these guys. But there's, you know, it means more to some, but it also means something in the right context to these other guys. Yeah, agreed. I think we should, because and not to dismiss anything that happened in the second half of that uh, Bills-Lions game, but let's go ahead and dismiss just about <laughs> everything and expunge that from our memories because that game dragged on hard. Anyway, I think we should discuss perhaps a rumor going around, and I think we both feel similarly about it. This whole business of Jadavian Clowney. I think, I don't know, I, I understand why fan they see oh Jadavian Clowney and then like Tony Pauline uh, I don't I don't even know what site he works for an NFL draft rumors or something I know I he looking. has his own site yeah that, that pro football rumors or something but he he mentioned the bills as someone that could be on board of of looking into Jadavian Clowney which I find it's somewhat hard to believe just from Brandon Bean's perspective because not only is it a legitimate chance at drafting or, or trading away a substantial draft pick at least in addition to other core roster players that that you would have to give up for him it's for a chance at a handshake handshake and a wink agreement because i mean jadavian clown you could you could be like okay let we have a deal in place we're just waiting for whenever what is it like right after the end of the regular season because he can't sign it because he's a franchise tagged player can't can't sign it till after the end of the regular season so you're all you're just kind of in limbo for five months like what if he ends up not liking buffalo for five months and then oh you're out a first round pick and a couple of players that you could have helped that could have helped you past 2019 or do they feel like they're that close to really competing i i just feel like this this type of trade for them they're they're a year away from make because i don't think the roster is for fully formulated just yet and i feel like it it would just i don't know i feel like it would be a little foolhardy and it not very typical of brandon bean i could be wrong but i just don't feel like it's it's that type of move for him yeah nothing i've heard indicates a change in their stance of that that's not something they're seriously pursuing and i think there's a couple of reasons you know davian Clowney has a lot of control because he needs to sign his tender before he can be traded and as you said he now is incapable of signing a long-term deal until after the season so if he doesn't want to come to buffalo which is a bit of a risk to take whether he would even play here to begin with or whether he would hold out the season so and that's not again we've talked about this before but it's an important distinction to make that you know Jadavian Clowney if he doesn't want to come to Buffalo it would wouldn't really have much to do with the city and more so the team you know does this guy want to go and play for a team that is ready to win right now uh, does he want to you know play for a team that that is a perennial contender and, and one piece away which you say the Bills are probably a year away from being able to claim their one piece away and right. I think anytime you claim your one piece away you're probably mistaken you know you're <laughs> you're not especially in football i don't know that you're ever just one piece away and so there's that element of it you know would he want to come here and would you be able to sign him long term and those are big question marks that influences what you would be willing to give up sure if they were taking a discount if they're taking a second round pick and zay jones or or lashawn mccoy or Heck, I mean, if they would take Deion Dawkins for Jadavian Clowney straight up, I, it, maybe it's worth the risk. But it doesn't feel like a risk that they're willing to to take. And it's understandable why, because 
this guy has all the power right now. And they've gone down this road before with Antonio Brown and, you know, seeing what happened there. And that's probably why they're treading extremely lightly in terms of, you know, it's, it's why I'm, I question the validity of the reports in some way, because I don't think they would let that out. And I don't think after what happened with Antonio Brown, they would let themselves be used in that way. And it's possible it's coming from somewhere else. That should also make you question, you know, some of the legitimacy of it because the Bills occasionally get thrown in as this extra team and used in that way to drum up interest. I mean, so it's hard to parse through information. In a lot of ways, it just doesn't make sense. And do they need a long-term answer at pass rusher? Yes. Are they desperate for a pass rusher? No. I don't think they are. Uh, I think Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, Shaq Lawson, and maybe Mike Love and Daryl Johnson, or one of the two, is a decent rotation. You know, And I think Jerry Hughes will be better for having Ed Oliver next to him. Jadevian Clowney would be a great addition. He would he would change the face of this defense in some ways. But if you're only getting a one year rental, it doesn't mesh with the plan that they've you know laid out and executed from start to finish. It's a legitimate risk. And while Brandon Bean is known to take some risks, they're usually calculated. And for this, I mean, you basically it is very much like Paul George going to the Thunder and Kawhi Leonard going to the Raptors. You would have to convince that player for five months to say, all right, this is why you should sign in Buffalo. And you're probably going to have to be successful to convince him to do it. And in one of those cases, hey, he resigned with the team only to get traded like a year after his extension to go to go sign up with the other guy who left the other team, Kawhi Leonard with the Raptors high and dry to go to the Clippers. But it, it just it just seems like it's very anti what Bean would do. When we had that hour-long roundtable of sorts with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott in June, that the topic of the Kawhi Leonard trade came up in terms of, you know, general big picture roster building type of sense, that trade and and some hockey stuff, you know, came up or whatever. And Brandon Bean's more of a basketball guy than a hockey guy. So he talked about the Kawhi Leonard trade and spoke to the risk and, and all of that. But obviously the gamble paid off. But he said in football, and this, again, he, he's not speaking directly to Jadevian Clowney right. in this sense, but it's kind of funny how it has now become a, a good comparison to make because he said the only player you could probably justify doing that for in football is a quarterback. Because if you're talking about being one player away, the only time that's really true is the quarterback, I think, in football. You know, I, you can think of a lot of examples of teams that thought they were one player away, one pass rusher, one receiver, one this. But really, the, the only guy that swings games that way is a quarterback. In basketball, Kawhi Leonard can change your team. Mm -hmm. You know, you can win a championship almost solely because of Kawhi Leonard. You can't win a championship solely because of Jadevian Clowney. And then maybe you gave up assets to, you know, hinder your future roster building and you can't even get this guy back. I think they all along have thought year four is when they're going to be serious contenders. And if that's the case, why are you, I guess you're trading for Jadevian Clowney gambling that you think you can sign him at the end of the season but you don't even really get to discuss that a whole lot seriously during the season and so you're really rolling the dice when you could conceivably just wait it out and yeah. maybe he's on the market right at, at the end of the year and or, then you're in a better position to 
to win, which is something that is seems like a requirement for him to be on a contender. And he also seems like, why go through all this if you're not going to hit the open market? You know, <laughs> why go through all this if you're not going to go for the maximum amount of dollars possible? You're probably in a better position, maybe in a better position to leverage him that way if he does hit the open market and just wants to go to the highest bidder. Then you maybe have a, a better shot than... If he's in your building, I don't know. It could go both ways. You could think, I, you know, you see teams trade for guys, the rights to guys. It happens a lot in hockey where just to get a couple weeks head start before he hits the market. But mm-hmm. you can't really agree to anything with this guy anyway. So you don't get a clear cut advantage. I mean, slight counterpoint. I suppose you could franchise tag him again, but that's a weighty option for, for your salary cap in, in the coming years. And especially he's if you already be... shown he, he, you know, again, right. he, he kind of wants to get to that long-term deal and get the open market. So yeah, you could, but that only kicks the can down the road. Certainly probably pisses him off more yep. and you don't have him long-term. You have a couple year rental on a disgruntled guy so a lot of complicated parts that don't make it you know a clear-cut easy solution i'm sure they've kicked the tires because they kicked the tires on almost everything there's a difference between doing that and 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 seriously pursuing something which it doesn't sound like they've done to this point my apologies to tony pauline um his website is called profootballnetwork.com that's that's who had the uh the Bills and Davian Clowney interest. But just going back to it, Clowney, I mean, if you bring him in, great. And if he leaves you high and dry before the 2020 season and he goes to the open market, really nothing you can do about it. And you're also probably losing out on a key piece to your 2020 roster by likely trading away a first round pick to get him. And I mean, if you feel like you're only one, two, three pieces away and you're dealing away a, a first round pick for a guy who might leave you high and dry, it doesn't it doesn't jive very well, especially heading into such a, a crucial season. If they're that confident that, that they can convince him, by all means, go for it. But can you really be confident in a guy who has sat out the entirety of the spring and summer, has still not signed his franchise tender, is not afraid of a power play? I know some people will be like, well, look what, look what the Bears did with Khalil Mack when they got him. Key difference, Khalil Mack was able to sign an extension immediately. Jadavian Clowney can't until January. It is a very scary predicament for the Bills if they would want to go down that road. And I'm just I'm just not convinced that, that it's theirs. And from what Matthew said, everything he's been hearing seems to indicate otherwise. So I, I don't I don't think it's uh it's necessarily something that, that the Bills should do. Now the caveat I think is if the price comes down. Yeah. But like you said, a first round pick is probably going to be a non starter. Absolutely. And you know, if they want to execute a a LaShawn McCoy for Jadavion Clowney swap. Nothing wrong with that. Why know. would the Texans ever but do that? Who, yeah, it's more a matter of the price tag. And if it's going to come down, it's not going to come down so significantly that it's a no-brainer. The risk is tied to the price in a lot of ways. And, you know, I don't know that the price is going to come down significantly enough for it to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, so we're coming up on the final preseason game of the Bills exhibition schedule. They are 3-0 and to start off a preseason for the first time since 1966. They are on the precipice of making Bills preseason franchise history because they have never ended a preseason with an undefeated record. I think general math and logic would indicate that they probably should have at some point over 60 years. But hey, here we are. It, it might happen on Thursday when they take on the Minnesota Vikings. But in terms of the roster and the bottom half of the roster, odds are we're not going to see a lot of the players that are already locked in to the team because that's something that happened last year in Chicago, that, that final preseason game. They had a big, giant workout 
with all the guys that were safe ahead of the game and they didn't play at all. There were only a, a few spots that were still open. And right now over at The Athletic, for our subscribers, you can see my very latest uh, 53-man roster projection that goes in-depth with every single position, including a practice squad pr projection and perhaps a look into who the leadership panel might actually be. So if you want to check that out, you can for subscribers. But the it, I think it's really coming down to like three spots that are actually open, maybe four, where you look at defensive end, wide receiver, the bottom part of the offensive line. I think that's really the only thing up for debate, and maybe linebacker too, about whether or not they keep six or seven. So guys like Maurice Alexander, Mike Love, I think Daryl Johnson's probably safe at this point, if I had to guess, just based off what we've seen. Wyatt Teller, Ryan Bates, Duke Williams, Isaiah McKenzie, Ray Ray McLeod, Russell Bodine. I think these are all guys that are going to have to try and earn it that are right on that bubble about whether or not they're actually going to make it. Yeah, it's a different roster than it was this time last year uh, in terms of how many spots are up for grabs. It's a tricky numbers game a little bit in the secondary and at linebacker. Do they keep Mike Love and Daryl Johnson? There's these little questions. And on offense, the receivers and TJ Yeldon versus Norris Perry, just small things. But really, what is it? Maybe a half a dozen spots that you have to grapple with when you're mm -hmm. doing one of these projections once you pencil in all the locks. If that. And you go through the roster, and it's easy to come up with almost 50 guys right away and those last few spots they'll be interesting but they're also you know as a reminder to people they could settle on one thing on saturday and have something different on monday or tuesday after waivers so they could make trades so many things that can throw these 53-man roster projections out the window and really for the most part it's about identifying the core which i think they've done and that much is pretty obvious the back end of the roster, there'll be some shuffling going on, and there'll be guys that make it that don't last the season. Injuries will happen, but I think it'll be interesting to watch the offense, figure out what they do at running back and receiver, which combination they go with. I think the offensive line is mostly set. I agree there. There's a little bit of a question in terms of what they're going to do may, with, with an offensive tackle. May I get on my Wyatt Teller hill here? Would, would you be so By kind? By all means. I always endorse getting on a William Wyatt Teller tangent ww teller look i get that people are excited by ryan bates and that they just traded for him because you know interesting story undrafted guy he's played all positions across the line with the second or third team and has has looked relatively good i, I get all that here is why the bates over teller love that's currently going out there that i had no idea existed until today after i posted my 53 man roster projection here's why it doesn't make sense to me for starters wyatt teller has played really damn well in the preseason. He has been a good run blocker, a good pass blocker, and I, I think he's been an unheralded positive performer throughout the first three games of the preseason. I would be willing to bet that he does the same thing in the fourth preseason game against the Vikings. Second thing, Brandon Bean invested in him. And if you don't know Brandon Bean's shtick by now, here it is. He does not like to give up on his draft picks. He needs, well, especially with how he wants to develop the draft and develop and re-sign your own program. He wants that so badly here in Buffalo. And for him to give up, on a guy that they drafted in the fifth round who started multiple games last year for them. And some games were not as great as the others, but there were some times where he looked like he had some potential to him last year. For him to give up on that player, especially after he's had a good preseason, especially after he invested a fifth round pick in him, makes no sense in my mind, especially when it's for a guy that 
they traded for earlier in the summer and the only thing they gave up gave up was a defensive end and Eli Harold that they were going that they were going to cut anyway it just the logic just doesn't pair up with why Bates would make it and I get oh they need another tackle option but guess what teams go into the season with only three options for offensive tackle all the time so it's not like you need a fourth I mean the Bills have been kind of against the norm of how many offensive linemen they keep I mean I think it was a couple years ago where they had 10 or 11 on the roster like that's that's not normal for most teams. So I get why he's he's somewhat exciting because of the versatility, everything like that. Cool story. But you are able to sneak Ryan Bates through waivers on Saturday and Sunday a lot easier than you are Wyatt Teller. If Teller goes to waivers, he's gone. There is no shot you get him to the practice squad. With Bates, because you haven't invested much of anything, you can take that chance and... I think the odds are greater that that he's on the practice squad this time next week. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think Bates brings versatility that Teller doesn't, but I also think Teller is a better player right now and has a, is a guy that they've been developing. He's their guy, whereas it's not that Ryan Bates isn't, but when they traded for him, it was not under the assumption that he would make the roster necessarily. And I think he's played better than maybe they expected, but they traded a guy who was not going to make their roster to get him and do in doing so needed a guy that had been in a camp and needed a guy that was in playing shape because Mm -hmm. they were at the time down a lot of bodies on the offensive line with random little injuries that were popping up so yes he's been playing some center and kind of played all over the place and shown he can do a lot which is all the more reason to keep him on the practice squad and develop him but I don't see a a use for him necessarily on the 53-man roster if you get down to needing him you might be in some trouble yeah I agree. Well, I'll get off my Wyatt Teller Hill right now, but I will not be afraid to go defend it like Jon Snow versus the horde of oncoming battlers in the Battle of the Bastards. I will I will not back down for this. I, th- I think Wyatt Teller makes too much sense, uh, but they could end up keeping both. So who knows? It could end up being a fruitless debate. All right. So that's going to do it for us on this episode. We will next talk to you on our athletic only podcast Coming up, which, by the way, we're going to do a mailbag of sorts for our subscribers. If you hit us with the hashtag Buffalo Beat, give us any Bills question you might have. It doesn't even have to be a Bills question. You know, we'll, we'll answer damn near anything. So you can go ahead and do that. Hashtag Buffalo Beat, and we'll look out for all of those questions. And again, the only way you'll be able to hear that one is if you're a subscriber to The Athletic. So if you haven't by now... Head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. Get yourself 40% off the year. Great deal. You get all the content from us, all the podcasting from us. Any other team, sport, or league you might be interested in, I mean, it's it's all there at your fingertips on a really clean service. So by all means, take advantage of the 40% off discount that we have here. So the next up for the Bills, taking on the Vikings, and a chance at history. Matthew Fairburn going undefeated for the first time. I'm ready to document it if it happens. (laughs) I think we all are. All right, so that's going to do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. For Matthew Fairburn, I'm Joe Biscaglia. We will talk to you next time. See you then.